I've got the sparse, the sickness, there's the twins in my brain. Cross is boss, but it's also over and out. The road season now is our main focus until October. We've had one-day races in Europe, but since the past week, stage racing is back on the continent. The Volta Ciclista La Comunitat Valenciana kicked it off, and it was swiftly followed by the Etoile de Bessege. And over in Saudi Arabia, we also had the Alula Tour. All in all, a week full of racing. I'm Bram, and I'll be your guide through today's Domestique Cycling Podcast. And I am joined by our latest Domestique, Ethan. Hey there. Hello, Hello there. Thanks for having me on. Ethan, you've done a, a few podcast episodes now with Domestique, uh, even a few inter- interview podcasts. Uh, how are you finding it? I'm enjoying it. It's a great experience. I uh, love talking to all the riders, getting so much information. And it's just nice to have a chat about cycling, things that I like. So it's great. Awesome to hear. Uh, I was thinking of starting off today in sunny Spain. How does that sound for you with your British sensibilities? It sounds perfect. Much more sunny than here. Good old England. All right. Let's start off uh, with the Volta Ciclista, la Comunidad Valenciana, as it's its full name. Um, a stage race in which uh, we saw quite a similar start list to the majority of the Mallorca Challenge, which I think you guys talked about last week. Uh, but also still a lot of guys uh, kicking off their season. Uh, it's a race with five stages all over the Valencia region. And I think it's fair to say we got a really interesting race starting from stage one. Um, did you watch it? I didn't watch the finish where I seen the two guys come across the line together, which is quite epic. A small team. It's like a fairy tale, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was a, a win for a VF Group Bardiana CSF Faisani. Beautiful name for a team. Just rolls off the tongue uh, with uh, Tonelli in first place and Tarozzi in second place. Uh, but I, I've watched pretty much the whole race uh, and I kind of have the feeling that the Peloton really gave this one away um since you didn't watch that I, i'm guessing you also don't know what happened before that i didn't really know what happened i looked at domestic live and i seen two uh, vf group badani guys come across the line i was right shocked. so there was a, a break of seven uh which was quite a strong break uh and then suddenly the uh, the advantage ballooned up to nine minutes uh with like 70 kilometers to go so that was uh, well it, it was quite lumpy terrain so normally you'd be able to make that up but in the bunch no team really wanted to start chasing i think uh, at start michael matthews was the favorite uh but then uh jake olula just stopped chasing uh, apparently michael matthews didn't quite feel very good uh kind of uh, seen in the rest of the week as well um so they just gave up chasing and the, the break went and um we did see a, a final effort on the the descent towards the line of uh our uh, slovenian friend matej mohoric uh did you see that clip because that I've was an that. amazing mohoric just descending is just always something to be amazed at you know it just leaves everything on the line no matter what and it's just i wish there was more of it on display in the peloton you know Mm-hmm. Um, is Matej Mohoric the best descender of the current peloton? By my way, yeah, it must be. Surely. Uh, but some people are even calling him 
the best descender of all time. I don't know if he's earned that title yet, but w- what's your thought on that? Two or more years, or if he does the same in like Milan San Remo a few more times, if he does that again, then I think we've got to agree there how it was. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it is tricky to, to pinpoint, you know, a, a goat of descending because, you know, it, it's very hard to compare efforts. Uh, but I think a, a really good Alaphilippe could could give him a run for his money. Yeah, um, I, I say that as well, yeah. I'll give you that one. Um, all right, on to stage two. Uh, also quite a lumpy stage. Um with a big climb, uh, finishing 10Ks from the line, and basically everyone had start mentioning one favorite. And again, it was our Slovenian Daredevil. Uh, I think just later they just proved everything right, uh, everyone right, with a huge descent uh, from the Alto Plade Corai. Um, what actually makes him such a good descender? Because is it just having the balls to do it, or is it's there something the, else is- it's got to be the Bulls mentality of like, if you like crash, you crash basically. And just not being afraid. It's what some other riders in the peloton really need, in my opinion. Um, just imagine if Felix Gao had that descending ability. It'd be incredible. Yeah, it'd be basically unstoppable. But what I thought was really interesting, after the stage, uh, Mohoric said... Uh, I, I didn't really try to take any risks because, you know, I don't want to have a crash in February. Like, you just put half a minute on a descent into the whole peloton and you were saying you were taking it easy. It can, <laughs> what, be, it can be the same for the peloton though, really as well. Is Does anyone want to really risk it in February, you know? Yeah, I mean, but is, is that just then him... That is his base level descending versus the base level descending of the peloton, and he just puts half a minute in them. That's yeah, incredible. That, so when it, his peak. Yeah, I mean, I, I just watched that and basically clenched the whole way down because I'm a terrible descender, and just watching that is, yeah. It's just it's just the mentality you need, isn't it? Really. It's an art form, but it's also scary. And he just doesn't feel... I, I guess he's just not afraid of it. And just, just It should be like more of an extreme sport in itself, really. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. That, just, well, just I guess that it. also makes him the, the gravel world champion. Uh, he definitely was able to put those skills to good use there. Um, anything else about this stage that stood out to you? No, just I think... The peloton just not taking risks at the start of the season, really. I mean, quite understandable. Uh, on the third day, uh, we finally got a sprint stage with uh, Jonathan Milan showing uh, some of that raw power of his that he's kind of gotten known for in the past year. Uh, he was he finished ahead of Arne Maritz. Um, do you feel Milan has taken a step up compared to last year yet? Or is that too early to tell? I need to see who he goes against first before I judge. Because let's be honest, the Valenciana, he wasn't really against like elite level sprinters. Like, for example, Wellsford, I'd say Gamay, um, Philipson. If he did that there, then I'd respect it. But he really has to take it to the next level. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I do want to call it a, a really good effort from the team, his new team, Little Trek. They seem to have delivered him perfectly. There was a crash in uh, almost a, like right before the last kilometer, uh, which really reduced the, the group that sprint forward line. Uh, but the way that he got delivered, well, I think Automatic was just in his wheel and was was happy to stay there because there was no other there was no opportunity for him to to get past. It was just like a post delivery, really, wasn't it? It was like there you go, three hundred meters, two hundred meters borderline. There you go, there's your win. Basically, what he did it was incredible, and that yeah, crash was quite a big, wasn't it? To be fair, I think Matthews was caught up in that. Mm, yeah, if yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, he was already feeling a bit off, but I think that uh, also took him out of the race. I think he didn't start the next day. Um, so, yeah, it, but to be fair, Jonathan Milan was, was always the favorite for for that stage, uh, just looking at the field of sprinters at Valenciana. So I, I do agree with, uh, with you when you say we can't really draw too many conclusions. It's Valenciana. There's basically very few sprinters here. It's like Jaco's had a bit of bad luck, haven't he, really? But Simon Yates fixed it a lot, a bit, I think. But, yeah, Matthew's crashing is... I want to see what actually happened to him. Because I don't know what his injuries are. I, I need mm. to find that out. Yeah, I've not already said. Uh, yeah, I think the, the first day he was already feeling a bit ill. Mm. Uh, but then, of course, he, he did... Was he was in a spot to contend that sprint uh, on stage three, so he, he probably felt a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, that definitely took it out of him as well. Um, and yeah, Jacob Lewis had a pretty unfortunate start of the season. First in Australia with Caleb Ewan and uh, Luke Plapp kind of well being a little bit unfortunate in uh, in the Tour Down Under. Um, and and here as well. Uh, I hope they, they turn it around soon. Um, and then, of course, stage four, we had the, the queen stage. Um, sadly, that was uh, that was shortened due to the tragic death of uh, an amateur cyclist uh, near the finish line at Valdebo. Uh, of course, uh, our sympathies go out to the family of that cyclist. Um, this meant that the stage ended on the Alto del Miserat, I had never heard of this climb before, uh, but I think now it will live on forever in my memory because, well, I'll, I'll let you explain. What what did you think of that climb? It just kept going up and up and up, didn't it? Like just dead short. And then you'd get the TV cameras on the motorbike and it just looked back and it just, you just see the Mediterranean Sea within like five minutes. Like you could see so far. It was crazy. Just the silver gradient was just going on and on and on. I think there was even like um, a car behind that he went off road because the gradients were just insane. Yeah, it, it was uh, probably also the the fact that we didn't have distance markers played into it a lot. Uh, I think for the riders as well. Um, but that climb was just brutal, so steep. Um, and I was at start a little bit worried that they wouldn't catch the break. Uh, because of the the shortening of the stage suddenly meant that uh, at 20 kilometers to go, the, the brake still had two and a half minutes. Um, but I think on the, the Alto del Miserat, that, yeah, you couldn't 
pretty much make up two minutes on that climb from the GC group. It was crazy. It just even at the start, it was just straight away. You're just straight in the deep end. It was mm. insane. Um, the stage was uh, won by a very impressive Brandon McNulty uh, ahead of Buturago and Vlasov. Uh, the American and the Russian seemed to be in pretty amazing form very early in the season. They were also really good in Mallorca as well. Um, do you think they're... Well, I, I kind of think that they're peaking very early in the season because probably the rest of their season is going to be domestic work. So are these kind of the months where they get to do their thing? I'd say, yeah, and that's a good point because McNulty's going to be doing a lot of his work in... Is he going to the Giro? I think he's going to the Giro, yeah. Yeah, so he's going to be doing a lot of work with Pogacar there. Vlasov um, as well. Last but he's going well. there for a GC, he says. His Roglic is not going to the, the, the Giro. It's going to be Rog, uh, not Roglic, Vlasov's last year of doing basically a chance at a GC at Bora, I'd say. If he doesn't deliver, then... Not good for him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, oh wait, I, I think actually Vlasov is going is not going to Giro. Uh, at least he's not been announced. Um, so, so yeah, it's a good uh, Vuelta or Tour. Or, uh, definitely the Tour. The tour. Uh, yeah, mm. he's definitely for the Tour group. But I don't think they've announced a, a Giro squad yet. Um, yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting early season for them. Uh, Vlasov has always struck me as a writer who, who doesn't really win that easily um, but in you know in, in the early season here he seems very strong and determined to to start off well yeah impressive form he probably could have got a win hmm. oh in, in, in the Mallorca and yeah. uh, no in Valenciano I think but yeah if if he just was able to follow the attack of McNulty, but he was too strong, especially that one where I think Petraga went on the radio and he just caught both of them napping. It was a wonderful attack. Yeah, especially since, well, maybe he knew how far it was uh, to go. Uh, I think the the TV coverage was like, oh, we're in the final kilometers. So it was like, OK, that's a great moment for attack. But actually turned out to be about two kilometers left to go. Uh, that did make it uh, a lot harder uh, than I expected. It would be uh, quite funny, wouldn't it, if there was just no markers anywhere for climbs. Just imagine that. The riders just left on their own. <laughs> right, at this stage, I I don't know if they had markers. Uh, I didn't see I any on the set. I don't think they set. did, yeah. You just had to rely on the uh, radio in the car, I guess. Yeah, but if you're on those those hills, I don't know how reliable team radio is really um well uh and then we have one more stage here uh stage five um did you watch that one i definitely watched that one i was amazed by barter i didn't watch this one uh i just know that it was an impressive win from from the american uh talks through it it was 50k to go he was left alone by some after the breakaway just this form and then he just kept going 10k to go yeah another 30k and 20k 10k and it was like very bendy windy roads you know like the typical spanish street and the peloton just couldn't catch him at all it was just stayed at a gap of around 
um, 15 seconds and the TV coverage looked like it was getting caught. Then it went back out. His TT position that he went in, it was insane. I mean, he's an insanely strong rider. Um, but doing a move like this, I, I never expected it from him. But yeah, especially first, with the peloton chasing as hard as they did. Yeah, first ever professional win as well for him, which is pretty amazing. And um, it was nice on Movistar as well. I thought they would do it a bit earlier, but they put some riders in the front of the peloton to just disorganize the chase. I think Lascano went on the front with around 4K to go, but it was a bit late, in my opinion, doing it. It should have been done much earlier. Well, Movistar tactics, not, not the greatest combination, but they ended up doing it anyway. Um, all right, that's that's it for our little trip to Spain. Uh, let's head over to France for the Etoile de Bessège. Uh, of course, the, the first stage uh, from Belgarde to Belgarde, which was basically always going to be won by uh, Mats Pedersen, uh, got cancelled uh, due to farmer protests. Uh, we won't see his win there this year. Um, but on stage two, uh, we did see uh, a, a very strong Mats Pedersen as well, but we saw one rider who was stronger. Axel Laurence, a uh, very young guy, and honestly... That sprint was amazing. Uh, it burst onto the scene like that is. Uh, people who knew about him knew he could do that. So it's just quite amazing how there's so many young riders at the same time in cycling is just coming through like that. It's just... It, it does seem like late January, early February. We've already spoken about so many young guys that are just bursting onto the scene and we'll talk about a few more in, in this episode alone where <laughs> it's like the old like the previous generation of writers they must be like not another one that was like <laughs> that was like Tobias uh, last week he was saying it was like wow I need to go and look at all these guys who are coming up because I'm mind blown he was saying yeah I mean uh, Axel Laurence is the the reigning uh, U23 road champion from from Glasgow he like what he did there was also well an incredible performance I think he he puked after the line um yeah I've seen a uh, another Twitter post of that yes they were X the same thing and you just see him he just absolutely gave everything he was literally nearly dead yeah but well uh, I think with in Bessage sprinting like that against Mats Pedersen on a finish like that, that is kind of a, a Mats Pedersen finish. Like it's well, Bessage is just the Mats Pedersen race, um, and to to beat him there is just incredible. That's not uh, just saying a big statement saying I'm here, isn't it? Yeah, but also for for like a young French guy, you know, um, being able to to do that in uh, a French race. Um, but also do have to give a shout out to to Kevin Vaucolin, who does seem to have made a, another extra step up, uh, finishing third on on that stage two, um, and just been very impressive throughout the whole race. Um, I think it's one of those guys from Arkea. We already saw a lot of him last year. Um, just going to become a, a very strong, also like a GC guy for these one-week races and, and maybe more. What, what are your thoughts on, on his future? I'd say that GC one-week races then. 
because he did a very strong performance. Definitely. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move on to stage three, uh, and here we finally got to see the the real Mats Pedersen show, uh, where he beat uh, Milan Menten and Rasmus Tiller in the sprint. Um, yeah, this this seemed to be a pretty pretty easy win. Um, this was also on a day where I think uh, Little Trek uh, won with with Milan as well that we already t- talked about and and Gibbons in South Africa. Um, so it was just a all round very good day for the team. Yeah, very good day. Uh, they literally perfected everything, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how much else we can say about this stage because it was just Mats Pedersen being Mats Pedersen. To be fair, the the sprinting power in Bessage as well is not amazing, um, but still. Yeah, you have to finish off the work from your team, and he did that beautifully. Um, and of course, picking up some bonification seconds for the GC, uh, which is going to be very important going forward. Um, in stage four, another uh, French win, and to be honest, this was one that I don't think anyone saw coming. Uh, if people had bets on on this guy, Samuel de Roux. I think they're rich now. You'd be more than rich, surely. Yeah, you know, probably won't be able to bet on him, would you? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you're you're the better of the two. Of, well, the betting guy from the two of us. Um, yeah, the, the break just stood right till the end. Uh, very well. They almost got caught. I think they they ended up with two seconds lead uh, over the bunch. Um, but yeah, I think Leroux was. Still there with Bissier and the Bont. The Bont was, and it was Hiv Hiv de Berg. Was oh, the right. uh, from from Uno X. I think yes, he was in the break as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, again, uh, first win for uh, Samuel Leroux uh, from the Van Ressel uh, Roubaix team. Um, I think this is going to be their well their biggest win in a long time. Uh, to, to win on, on such a, a big stage, uh, a big race, kind of... Uh, yeah, we, we've seen now two smaller teams winning these uh, with uh, Bardiani as well in, in Valenciana, winning these kind of big stages very early in the season. Must be amazing for them. It's like, that's what you want to see in cycling, is the David and Goliath. Mm-hmm, definitely, because you know you, you kind of expect your, your UAEs and uh, Visma Lisa bikes. I keep wanting to say Yumba Visma. That's gonna take a while. Um, but it, it's really nice seeing these smaller teams take wins as well, uh, especially a team like Van Rijssel Roubaix, which has been around for a considerable amount of time. Uh, Is it their first like professional win since 2019? Oh, that could be. I think that's a start scene. Then that is even more incredible. Um, I also really like their kits. It's even pinker than the EF kit, which kudos to them for making a a, a, a kit that's more pink than EF. That's like proper uh, pink panther kit. That's <laughs> I love proper it. Proper pink panther. It is. It is. And I think that's the best out of any cycling team so far. Yeah. 
we we never uh well we we made a video about the men's teams in the world tour but we, so we didn't look at that one but that surely would have been uh, s tier uh okay then the last stage of Bessege. uh a time trial over uh, how long was it uh about 30 kilometers or uh it's 10.6 oh 10.6 a shorter one yes um i think what struck me the most about the results there ef education domination except for the win uh they have five riders in the top seven i think yeah. they're uh they must be very happy about their tt setup um but of course they they didn't fight for the win um mm. that was uh, for kevin vocalin who i didn't know he was actually good at tts although 10 kilometer tt is a little bit special and it was finished on a pretty good hill um Still, I didn't quite expect that from him. Yeah, like, it was a three kilometer, five percent climb. It's a good effort from him. And Mads Pedersen as well. EF, it's like me playing pro cycling manager that when I see the result there. Just always near the top, never winning. It's still, but good points. Yeah, it's very good points. A big haul of points, in fact. Well, um, Considering their their team there, it was also a very strong team with Alberto Betiol, Healy, uh, Quinn Carr, who's already won a race in, in Mallorca, and Bissiger, of course. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that Bissiger didn't finish higher up, um, since he is the TT specialist. Very curious what we're going to see from Bissiger this year. Because uh, in my opinion, it's kind of his make it or break it year as a TT specialist or does he switch entirely to domesticing? Um, yeah. yeah I, agree, I agree with that as well because he really needs to like, deliver the big, big time, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. Enough of, of Europe. Let's uh, head over to the Al Ula tour. Um, obviously, uh, very different type of racing there. Um, we see a lot more sprinty stages uh some some echelons which is always kind of well it's what we expect to see in in those desert races that the stages at least get a little bit interesting that way um because i think the rest of the stage probably wasn't that interesting but anyway stage one um uh 149 kilometers uh won by kasper van uden from Team DSM for Munich Postenel. Uh, I think it was his first professional win. Yeah, that was also his first professional win. I was waiting for him to, like, last year, really, to just go and do that. He's more of, like, a classics rider, I think, in my opinion. But go, to go and out-sprint, Gronovig and Mernier, Warrenschild, it is very impressive. Yeah, because we've talked about the other two races not having very strong sprinting fields. That's because all the, the strong sprinters that have they're starting their season and are are here. Uh, you have Krunewege, Merlier, Warnschold. Um, these guys are not like messing around. Like these guys are trying to start off their season strongly, and Kasper Vanden just beats him. And it was a very open sprint. Uh, it was. The strongest, I think. 
and just being the strongest compared to Dylan Kroonerweg is a is an achievement. Yeah, it it was very close, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, uh, I think it was sixty cent, well, half a wheel in it. Uh, can't have been any more than that. Um, but I, I just remember seeing that photo of basically all the sprinters next to one another because the road was so wide, mm. and you could basically sprint with the entire top 10 next to one another, which I always think is a really nice picture because it just, you can see all the different teams as well. Um, on stage two, um, we have uh, a win for UNOX. Uh, always lovely to see. Certainly, uh, Wadenskjöld. Also, very strong stranger, of course. Um, any Anything you want to say about that stage. Uh, uh, Unix, the, the tactics of Unix always interest me because they're always on the front, always attacking, always positive, and it pays off with Warrenshaw getting the victory. It's um, it was very similar to his victory last year, where it was like that. What was that climb? Ooh, it was like a really, really steep climb before the end, and he got the win. Uh, uh, when it was a Saudi tour. Oh wait, no. Uh, wasn't it? Wasn't it the stage as well? It was stage two. I'm sure it was. Yeah. Okay, this is basically the same stage. Um, so yeah, it's it's not really a surprise that he was good here then. Um, but ahead of Henrik Mubrahan, which uh, who also has a, a really good start to his season. Um, it's awesome all around. Um. Not much else to talk about here. Um, on stage three, uh, we got a, a very dominant display from uh, Tim Merlich. I think uh, that was uh, definitely one of the, the stronger sprints. And kind of, it was on his uh, son's birthday, which is always nice. Um, he showed that in the celebration as well. Um he won here ahead of Arvid Klein and uh, Kasper van Uden. Uh, there was a, a crash not too far from the line, I think. Um, yeah. So it, it was a little bit disrupted. Uh, but still, I think Madlir was, was very dominant here. Um, it's nice to see though as well, Tudor. Tudor Tudor's um, sprint train so far from what I keep seeing in the races is has impressed me a lot. I think they just need to get that final kick right. Yeah, I mean, this is also kind of early in the season where they got to haul some points to maybe get wild cards at uh, some of the bigger one-day races, uh, one-week uh, stage races, so they can get extra points there. It's kind of super crucial for them to, to start the season off, right? Um, I think with uh, the clan. They they definitely have a the guy for that. Um, all right, stage four, uh, same winner, but very different way. First of all, a lot closer, but also, I think the longest time I've seen someone sprint in the past two or three seasons. I think I saw a stat that it was he was in the wind for twenty one seconds. 
21 second sprint. That's incredible. You wouldn't have expected that from Merlier as well, would you? After seeing it last season, has he taken another step forward? Um, I think he's he's definitely gotten like those those longer efforts. Those seem to suit him really well. He said so afterwards in the in the interview as well, where you know he he's confident that he's got these long efforts in him and he can go from far and, and hold off. Uh, whoever wants to to try and, and come for him. In this case, it was uh, Brian Cocard, who ended up getting really close and actually claimed the victory on the line. Uh, but on the finish road, it was quite clear that there was about 60 centimeters, um, or, uh, well, uh, no, not 60 centimeters. It was about a, a rim's width in it. Um, so... <laughs> I don't know how Kokar really got that idea that he won. Um, but it, that was just a, a beast sprint from Merleach. Beat Kokar is basically his own like game, really. His own... Well, go early. And... <laughs> no, like, like an uphill kind of battle, you know? True, true. Um, I kind of expected Weinerschel to do a little bit better here. He ended up finishing in eighth. Uh, this really felt like a finish for him. Um, yeah, didn't um, really. Men's check, men's check in fifth is a nice result. Yeah, I think uh, this one the the team did really pick for for Grunewagen, obviously because this was well terrible finish for him. Was he still uh, si- was he still sick in that stage? Mm, or was he recovered? I mean, he'll probably still have been sick. Yeah, but still, then Mesketch. Um, you know, he, he gets his chance and he does make the best of it. Uh, and also a very impressive Rick Blemers here as well from Tudor. Um, getting some of that those points in. Very impressive. But then, of course, uh, the next day, it's uh, the Queen stage with a... Uh, yeah, the climbers got to go on quite a, a steep climb, to be honest, for for Saudi Arabia. Um, and I think this is the stage, uh, the race where <laughs> we're going to remember uh, William Junior Lesser showing himself really for the first time. The, the team had a lot of confidence in him. He just wasn't able to finish it off because, well, uh, Simon Yates was able to do it. Um, obviously, I don't think that's a... a a shame to to lose against a a Grand Tour winner, um, but you know what a, a ballsy ride by Le Cerf. Insane, isn't it? It's impressively quick step recruitment. They've really recruited well over the um, past season with the young riders coming in, and to go basically show Patrick the Fervre, hello, it's me, isn't it? So he's um. Very small as well. That's what I noticed. One sixty-nine centimeters. It was nice, nice and aero. Tucked it on his bike, and um, so I think Dieter mentioned that he was riding a very low cadence. Mm, yeah, I guess so. Maybe that's line. maybe that's something that still comes out of the the U twenty-three days where they were they're used to smaller gearing. Um, and then he used a bigger game in the sprint, I think. 
Yeah, I think that sprint, uh, he probably was a little bit disappointed in it. Uh, I think he did have a, a chance of winning it, but I think it's the, the more experienced Simon Yates was just not going to open that door for him and, and just uh, kept him on the side of the barriers. I think I've seen in his under-23, did he win the under-23 Milan San Remo ahead of uh, the Lombardi, Lombardi. Was it Lombardy or Milan San Remo? Yeah. It was Lombardy. Because uh, yeah. it was quite a contentious sprint because there was a... He deviated, didn't he, apparently? Yeah, um, he, he did. Um, I don't know if it was enough for a DQ, but... There was definitely some deviation going on, and Archie Ryan definitely wasn't happy afterwards. But well, stuff happens. Um, all right, Johannesson uh, uh, as well. I want to mention oh, right. Anders Holland Johannesson there on that stage as well. Sixth place is he's had a lot to go through, I think, as well. Definitely. Um, and also uh, Pierre Latour. Nice to yeah. see him doing well as well. I'm quite a big fan of him. Um, but like this this stage design, you know, it, it's it's Saudi Arabia. There's not a lot of interesting stages to organize there, but uh, they did the same stage last year. And it was not the Queen's. It was not like the last stage, was it? It was the fourth. It was the second to last stage. So we just made it a bit. Hmm. But the sprinters were proper, proper working this time, just mm-hmm. getting the guys in the right position. Right. And I seen, it's... I think the Eurosport commentator Jez Cox mentioned that it's the anniversary next year of like the Saudi race or Lula Tour, and um, he said an idea like he had that it should be a time trial up that mountain, which I thought mm. would be a that would be group. that would be kind of epic. Um, I just really like how you have that plateau after the climb finishes. I think um, it, it just, well, usually I'm not a fan of those types of profiles, but here it just it makes for really exciting races because it, it's not the pure climber that is, hasn't, like if you still have a kick at the end of it, you have a, a massive advantage. And I think just Simon Yates has is a pure climber and also has a kick. So. It needs to be like more of that, I think, as well. Just like a, a nice flat bit after the top of a climb. It just produced some proper finishes, wouldn't it? Definitely. Um, all right. I think that's that's all for our racing uh, for this week. Uh, I do want to also call out a little bit of news about uh, French writer Frank Bonamour from uh, Azure Desert uh Decathlon, uh, sorry, so got to get used to that name, uh, who's been uh, provisionally suspended uh, due to some anti-doping rules uh, with some, uh, was, was it unexplained abnormalities in this biological passport? Yeah. Um, this actually comes pretty, um, well, it's a bit awkward for Azure because they've just had other news about uh, well, a potential doping violation um, that becomes a little bit, well, I, I think they definitely didn't want this news right now. Of course, no team ever does. Um, but I think it was uh, last 
week that it came out uh, that uh, Alex Baudin um, had his results scrapped from the Giro? Um, or was it, did that come out earlier? I don't remember. <laughs> No, that came that came that came out a little bit earlier, Um, but yeah, it's not a good look for a professional team to have two, uh, yeah, two of these cases come out relatively close. Yeah, you definitely don't Mm. want that. Um, Of course, it's a provisional suspension. There will be more news about that. hopefully soon it is the the uci so uh it it can probably take a while um yeah that's that's it for this week um do you have uh, anything other to add i'm just looking forward to even more racing coming up tour of a man uh classic jean is also next monday i think that would be nice to watch all right well, then it's uh, up to me to wrap up the Mystique Cycling Podcast for this week. A uh, big thank you to our audience for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, consider supporting us on Ko-Fi or uh, subscribing on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Um, if you're on YouTube, hit subscribe and, and turn on notifications while you're at it. Uh, we appreciate your support and look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. I've got the sparse, the sickness, there's the twins in my brain.